HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We do more varieties and flavors of cheese than anywhere else on earth. By pushing the boundaries of what cheese can and should be, find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Welcome to Pizza Quest. I'm Peter Reinhardt, a man on a never-ending search for the perfect pizza. This show is the audio version of the Pizza Talk YouTube series, where I engage in interesting conversations with some of the country's greatest pizza makers and other artisans. Thanks for joining me on this quest. Today, I'm here with Dan Richer of Raza. Now, Dan, I'm going to let you say uh, pronounce the the full name of Raza because every time I look it up, I go. I, everyone always just calls it Raza, but it's really more than Raza. How do you say it? Just Raza's good. Nobody nobody uses the the second part, the artisan artigione or whatever it is that you you got there. But is that like yeah. uh, like is that just the time for artisan artisan pizza or what? That's it. All right. Well, everyone just knows it as Raza, and everywhere I go, people just always ask me this one question: Have you been to Raza yet? You know, and if, and uh, and I haven't. Because uh, the one time that it might, I had a chance to get up there, uh, we got too late of a start, and by the time we called, the lines were out the door, and the wait was too long, and we said, okay, we'll do it the next time. And then, uh, of course, we're all shut down, and I'm down in North Carolina, and you're up yeah. in New Jersey. It's, in fact, speaking of New Jersey, um, a lot of people who've never been there know about you because Pete Wells, a couple of years ago in the New York Times, wrote that the best New York pizza is now found in New Jersey. Uh, how did that, that article impact your business? I was pretty big impact. I mean, the New York Times is kind of like, uh, it's, it's almost like a Michelin three star, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We, you know, we started the restaurant in 2012 uh, and it was a very slow start for about four and a half years until that came out. Um, and it was difficult to, to even make it through those four years. Uh, we have a very small restaurant and, as you know, with pizza, it's a pretty low price point comparatively. Um, so with 40 seats and minimal takeout, uh, it was difficult to make it. And then that review came along and then it's the opposite issue. You know, we, nobody can get in. Right. And now, now uh, people are mad at you because they can't get in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> See, it's, it's, it's a good thing, bad thing kind of situation, but mostly a good thing, I would think, because now at least you don't have to worry about being undiscovered. Yes. 
Yeah. And it wasn't, wasn't about the, you know, trying to be discovered or anything. You know, I'm not looking for fame and fortune or anything. I just want to get my staff paid. Uh, And that was, that's the issue with a slow restaurant. Your, your staff is not getting, not going to be able to get paid. And that's the, the name of the game. It really is. Make well, the we'll team happy. Back to that because now we've got a new, you know, this crisis situation, and you and you are still going and keeping your, you know, people working. But uh, let's work up to that because I'd like to hear a little bit about those early years, especially since you had that time before you were getting slammed to really work on your vision and to perfect, in a sense, your craft. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about how that all unfolded for you? Yeah. Well, I started making pizza in two thousand and three, and I owned another restaurant before this. Uh, for 10 years. Um, and that's where I really honed the craft. Uh, I mean, it's a continuous, I'm still honing. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Never ends, uh, right? I, it never ends. I still feel like I'm at the beginning, which is great. It's, it's, uh, that's what drives me, um, that and my team. Um, really trying to learn something new every single day. And I'm always tinkering, always like completely reinventing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it keeps it fresh. It keeps it new, keeps it exciting for me trying something new, whether it's a new flour or, um, you know, a new technique on the oven or, uh, being creative with some new ingredients. It's really keeps it, keeps it very interesting. It's not like you kind of spent a few years dialing it in on your ideal recipe or formula. And then you've just been knocking it out. You're still continually continuing to evolve your pizzas. Is that right? Yeah. So I don't, I didn't have an ideal formula, but I had an ideal set of characteristics in the pizza that I'm looking for. Um, so when I was really starting to, to get better at it, it's because I came up with a list of about 40, uh, 40 something points about pizza that I'm looking for in my ideal pizza and how we get there. Yeah. is is irrelevant as long as the final product comes out with these list with all of these 40 characteristics about the pizza do you and have that like on a chart or a poster somewhere or how, how we have how, a packet memorize that you have a packet it, it's I mean, about it, six it pages like, sounds like jethro gibbs like rules of being an ncis agent or something like that yeah honestly it's a set of blueprints because if you're if you're a home builder right it doesn't matter your techniques and your, your materials, right? If you don't know what you're looking to build, it's not going to be great, right? It's a shot in the dark because you can give the same people the same ingredients and, and teach them really high-level techniques. But if you don't know what you're shooting for, how are you going to get there? Can, can you talk a little bit about what some of those uh, 40 points are? Sure. sure. So the, the, the first page is really the dimensions, okay? It's the, the height of the crust. You know, a lot of times you'll see pizza makers and over time their crust gets a little bit bigger as they get, as they start to understand fermentation to show off their, you know, how good their, their crumb is, uh, you know, but honestly it, things change. We're making so many pizzas every day, day in and day out over a long period of time. Things, things can change if you don't have a way to rein it in to, to say, okay, this is the height of our crust. This is what it should be. Um, it's everything from the dimensions to the, um, the build of the pizza, how much cheese is supposed to be on there, what the cheese is supposed to look like when it's finished baking. Should it be, um, 
like ours is supposed to be fully melted, but still areas of distinct cheese and certain areas that have melted into the sauce. So it creates that like rosy pink area in where it's not quite cheese. It's not quite sauce. It's that in between where it's melted together. The cheese should have gentle areas of browning on it for a look from caramelization. Um, the, uh, the sauce has about nine different points on it uh, alone from the sweetness, the acidity, whether there's seeds and, skin, seeds and skins in the sauce, um, the way the sauce reduces. Uh, my, one of my biggest pet peeves is over-reduced sauce. So when sauce gets, has uh, too low of a moisture content or it's been baked too long, it gets that like pasty and acidic uh, characteristics that is just not my ideal sauce should right. be velvety, uh, should have a, a, a gloss on it, a, like a glimmer. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's just so tomatoes. many. You do it's aside from the basic pizza sauce, you also do it like a New Jersey tomato sauce as well, right? Yeah, we usually have two to three different tomato sauces in the restaurant at any one time, uh, whether it's uh, a, a a new to, a different tomato um, something that tells a story of time and place right so our our basic tomato uh, we do a tomato tasting every year where we cool. evaluate on a double blind because yeah, tomatoes are an agricultural product right uh, and to to buy our tomatoes based on a location like San Marzano or California or based on a label um, that's that's not what we, how we evaluate products. We evaluate based on the actual merits of the product. Um, and tomatoes are an agricultural product. So you will see variation um, throughout the years and um, from season to season. So if we're not tasting constantly. Do you find yourself actually changing then changing brands or, or types of tomatoes within a brand uh, from year to year? Do you see that much differentiation? We have it pretty dialed in right now, um, but yeah, I, I've definitely changed throughout the years, without a doubt. Um, yeah. Uh, well, let's go back then. So, you, I mean, you didn't just sort of wake up one morning and figure all this out. You you had a restaurant before Raza. You, uh, how did you get into it in the beginning? Did you have any formal training, or did you kind of like, or did you go the apprentice route, or what? No, I just uh, I um, graduated college, flew to Italy traveled all over the country, tasted the best food I've ever tasted. With all the Italian restaurants that we have in New Jersey, I never tasted real Italian food. Um, and I love the regionality of it. I love the simplicity of it. And it was a plate of pasta, you know, handmade pasta with tomato sauce that really just blew my mind and I wanted to know why. And it was that question that led me to start visiting farmers markets to find out about ingredients and reading books about technique and traveling all over Italy many, many, many times uh, just to, to really taste it and to have those flavors and tastes in my, in my bank, in my memory. Uh, and then it was like your aha moment then in a way. Yeah. Yeah. And then I bought a failing restaurant in 2006. Uh, it's the only thing I could afford. I knew the owners. Um, they said, here, we'll we'll sell it to you for very inexpensive comparatively. That wasn't the restaurant where Big Night was filmed, right? <laughs> it sounds like that's sounds down like here actually. You would have never were at that one, or you would have had some Italian food at least. You know, in, in yeah. yeah, yeah. But, and, uh, and but it happened to have two wood fired ovens. Were you able to save that restaurant? 
Uh, yeah. 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 And I sold it in 2015. So a couple of years after I started Ratsa, I was running between the two restaurants. It wasn't making me happy. Financially, it was great, but uh, I believed in Ratsa and uh, it was struggling for those four years. So I sold the successful one and and really planted roots and uh, focused every single day. Was that first restaurant a more general Italian menu or what? Yeah, it was definitely pizza specific, but uh, there were there were definitely more menu menu items than Razza. We had a little bit bigger of a kitchen. We had two wood fired ovens, which gives you a little bit more flexibility than just having one. Uh, but because we only had the one one wood fired oven, because we have such a small kitchen, we have a very small mixer. We, uh-huh. It it forces us to be creative within those parameters of what we're working with, uh, and that's a beautiful thing. So basically, you were able to put all your focus then on Ratsa at, at uh, about what, five seven years ago, and uh, and now it's keeping you busy. Very. Yeah. Yeah, and, and we're focused really growing inward. Um, rather than outward, growing, learning every day, and really teaching the 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 real skills of fermentation and pizza making in general. Well, again, it's like your your food sensibility or philosophy seems to have also evolved, uh, or or I mean, it, and it's also intuitive. I mean, you're it's, you're coming at it, I guess, what it, what we might call the artisan spirit, uh, but it's not something that everybody just intuitively gets how did that happen for you and 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 at what point did you begin to like really dial in on what makes Ratsa so unique and so special and it has allowed it you know on pizza coast we really talk about a lot the places that have broken from the pack that are doing more than just good pizza but are doing something memorable and yeah. somewhere along the line you know you broke through to that uh, yeah but how did you yeah. come so uh Two things. One, I never wanted to create a product that uh, emulates someone else. Uh, I wanted to create a product that I loved, that evoked my philosophy on things. So I never was into the double zero flour or Neapolitan pizza or a a specific style. I wanted to defy style. I, I just wanted to create really delicious pizza for people to thoroughly enjoy. Um, defying style. I didn't want to emulate certain characteristics. That's why I wrote my own rule book with, yeah. with that, with that list, because I wanted to, I, I wanted specific characteristics and those characteristics are pulled just out of the love for pizza and really thinking about every bite of pizza that I've ever taken. Any, anytime I would be at a restaurant, I think to myself, what do I love about this? What do I not love about it? And that, that's what really made the the characteristics come to life. Uh, but also I, I studied at Rutgers. Um, I started my college career at a, at an agricultural school because uh, it's the only college I got into. Uh, I didn't want to have anything to do with agriculture, but after I, after I graduated, um, I flew to Italy, tasted this great food and I started visiting farmers markets and I could actually have great conversations with farmers because I have this background in agriculture. So, yeah. Great. So you started connecting the dots, which and, is- and it's pretty easy to connect the dots when you have a field grown organic peak season tomato and you bite into it and seeing the difference between that and a tomato coming out of Mexico in January, right? It's pretty obvious which tastes better. And that's 
what what makes really great food is ingredients and technique. Well, you found a way to kind of take all of these ideas and put them together and really focus them through pizza. We're going to take a little break here, but when I come back uh, with you, I want to talk about so what some of those things are. Let's talk about some specific choices you've made, pizzas that you're making, and especially I'd like to talk with you about the way you ferment your dough because, uh, you know, you know, we have a panel of, of pizza yodis that we've been talking a lot about uh, yeast fermentation. And I know that you are doing primarily natural leaven fermentation, of which more and more pizzerias are moving in that direction, but you're really kind of in front of the wave on that. So let's come back and explore all of those things. We're with uh, Dan Richer of Ratza in New Jersey, uh, one of the, I would have to say, now recognized nationally as one of the great uh, restaurants, not just, you, it's a pizzeria, but really now a pizzeria is known as a restaurant. And it really is up there, and we want to hear more about it when we come back. Stick around for more Pizza Quest after a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Wisconsin, the state of cheese, makes half of the nation's specialty cheese and wins more awards than any other state or country. Our heritage and traditions, master cheesemaker program, and the American propensity for innovation all put Wisconsin on the cutting wedge of cheesemaking. With over 600 varieties of cheese to choose from and 5,500 national and international awards and counting, get ready to turn your refrigerator into a trophy case. Enjoying a Wisconsin cheese is basically like winning a gold medal in culinary achievement. Set your mind at cheese. When you bite into a wedge of Wisconsin Wonderful, you know it is made with the ultimate skill and passion possible. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. I'm Peter Reinhardt. We're on Pizza Talk, uh, presented by Pizza Quest. And we're going to continue our conversation with Dan Richer of Ratza in Jersey City, New Jersey, uh, one of the great pizzerias, not only in the United States, I'll say now in the world. And we're going to try to find out a little bit more about why it has attained that status. Uh, when we last left off, then we were talking about your own journey and the ethic and your experiences in Italy, which, by the way, have you been back to Italy, you know, since your initial visits to kind of refresh and see if, uh, if, if anything's evolved over there that's affecting the way you're doing pizzas now? Yeah, I was there twice last year. Um, and I, I try to go back as frequently as possible because I just love it. I love being there. So it's kind of like a continuing pilgrimage for you to go there and get renewed and refreshed with new ideas. Yeah, yeah. And just to eat delicious food, really. Exactly. Well, yeah, that's a good reason to go. That's enough of a reason to go. Uh, well, so we know that the pizzas themselves, you know, uh, and, and in the in that original New York Times review, uh, Pete Wells talked about the fact that some pizzas really nail the crust and some really nail the topping. And what he loved about Razza was that you're, you're on top of both of those. You've got phenomenal crust and you've got, uh, you know, again, ongoing evolving ideas for the toppings and you're working with local locally sourced ingredients and you're you're finding hazelnuts from where from Rutgers and you're and you're getting uh, uh, locally produced uh, buffalo mozzarella and all of that that's all good but I want to talk about dough before we talk about the tops and um, and you are you know among the leaders of the natural fermentation movement we've talked to a few other people that do that 
including uh, Anthony Mangieri at Una Pizza Napolitana, who has a different style of dough altogether from you, but he's also doing it with natural fermentation. How did you decide to kind of move there? And did you start in that direction with, with wild yeast and natural, or were you starting with commercial yeast and then sort of moved into that later? Yeah, I definitely started with commercial yeast, um, as I think pretty much everybody does. Um, you got to have to crawl before you can walk. Um, but it was my visits in, uh, maybe 2006 to Anthony's place in New York, uh, that the, the aromas of his crust were yeah. just ethereal. And I wanted to know why, again, I just wanted to know why. Um, and that's when I started really studying bread making and honestly, uh, I probably have told you this before, but uh, my first year in business, one of one of my guests at the first restaurant gave me your book, Bread Baker's Apprentice, because my pizza was so bad. He's like, <laughs> you know, you should probably learn something about fermentation. So those two things led me to um, to really start studying bread making, and it was overwhelming at the beginning. So many terms and just it's right. so difficult to to grasp when when somebody's not standing there next to you teaching you the ways um yeah, it's it's simple and yet it's not so simple if it's new to you and and then right. eventually it all becomes sort of like the clouds lift and you realize hey this all makes sense yeah definitely. so so when you started out you did you start doing like uh with uh pre-ferments and and uh, poolishes and sponges or, or I, I jumped right in went right into wild yeast yeah yeah after after uh, years making a straight dough, um, I skipped the Poolish and Bega, uh, you know, yeasted pre-ferments uh, and went right to uh, natural. I bought a, a starter on uh, the internet, uh, one of the ones from the island of Ischia. Oh, yeah. Is that, that part of that uh, Dr. Ed Wood's uh, international sourdoughs? I feel like that was the only the only sourdough book on the market. Wow! Yeah, it really it really was a book for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you got one of his. You got his the particular one that was started in Ischia, right? Yeah. So that Ischia started. Did right in with what you were trying to do. Did, 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 do you think that one of the questions people ask me is when you buy a starter from some place like that, like you get a Russian starter or an Alaskan starter or. Start. Do the do they eventually become a Jersey City starter, or have they retained some of those flavors, uh, the original flavors that uh, you know from the beginning? I think the, a little bit of both, probably. Um, I think what you feed it definitely has a, a major impact on the flavors, and also how you use it uh, has a big impact on the flavors that you extract out of it. Uh, but I, I only used that one for a few months and I felt like I needed to be closer to the product. I wanted full control over, over the yeasts that we were using and I wanted it to be more of, of our product. Um, so I had some wheat grown for me out in Western New Jersey. I milled it by hand, uh, you know, one of those hand crank mills. Yeah. Um, and, uh, cultivated the wild yeast that lives on the outside of it. And that's what we've been using since then. And that was probably and 2007. In flavor profile from that starter and the bacteria that it brought in versus that original Ischia starter. I mean, do you honestly in, in the first year of, of baking, you don't know, right? 
you don't even know how to use it. You don't right. know, you know, the, the feed, the, the right feeding schedule for you um, and what fits with your schedule. Cause that's a, a big thing. Um, even yeah. when to use it, you know, we, um, maybe five years ago or so we switched from, uh, using what was fed the night before to, um, using, um, the freshly fed starter, right? Oh. So your feeding schedule has a major impact on the flavors and textures and how much acidity is in your pizza. Right. Uh, so again, as in terms of sort of this never ending learning process and learning curve that you've been on, what are some of the key takeaways that help to evolve your, your rules of, of, uh, you know, sort of the targeted perfect pizza? There's too many. It's oh, too much. About acidity, for instance, uh, are you going to a less acidic, uh, uh, pizza dough now or more acidic? Yeah, I, I definitely want less acidity. I want it to be there but I, want, I don't want it to hit you over the head. Um, we're looking for um, definitely milky, sweet, but deep aromas. Um, and you should, you should know that it's different and that it's natural fermentation, but too much acidity is not a good thing from a flavor standpoint, but also from a, 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 a caramelization standpoint. You know, if there's too much acidity in it, um, you're, you know, if it's over fermented, you're not going to get the, the crust coloration that we're looking for in pizza. That's, that's a good point. Yeah. And a lot of people don't even think about that part of it. They just, some people, especially if they're really into sourdough, they want to know, how can I make my, my starter more sour? And yeah. other people are going, how can I tame it a little bit? How can I get the more well-rounded flavors? And you're not just making one dough, right? You're making any, on a given night, you could be making as many as three different doughs, correct? Yeah. So, yeah. so let's talk about that a little bit. Like, like why do you make three different doughs and what are some of those differences? Out of necessity because our restaurant is so small. Oh, yeah. We don't have a dedicated spot for our mixer. Um, our mixer is very, very small. It actually tucks underneath our oven uh, because there's, there's just no space for it. So is it like a 24 mixer or something like that? The 25 kilo mixer. It's like one of those little Neapolitan uh mixers it's a single speed mixer right spiral or spiral spiral okay yeah um it's it's tiny right Mm -hmm. so because it's so small we can only fit so much dough in there so it gives us three to four different opportunities to to learn about our dough every single day because we have to make multiple batches right so when a person comes in and and gets their pizza do they know which which crust or are there certain pizzas that are designated to go with a particular uh, dough or is it, is it, you get what I give you? You get, you get what you get. Uh, and, and we're talking about minuscule differences. Uh, and it's usually about uh, maintaining our, our schedule, right? So we'll have one dough for the beginning of the night that's moving a little faster. So we might increase the dough temperature a little bit to make it, a little bit more active and, and move on the faster side. Um, while as the, the last dough that we make will be a hundred percent natural fermentation. So it gives us a bigger window of time that we can use it. Um, and it's moving a little bit slower than one with, you know, a small amount of commercial yeast or one that has a higher dough temperature. 
Do your doughs ever go in the refrigerator or is it all floor fermentation? They do. For years, we were doing same-day doughs, which are great. The flavors are absolutely incredible, uh, but I wanted, I wanted to change it. It's, it seems that as soon as we nail a dough formula, then I, I change it, whether it's I change the flour or uh, I change the, whether it's same day or overnight. Uh, yeah. But at this point, we have an arsenal of dough, dough formulas that work and that are, they're all very similar, but subtly different. Do you keep tasting notes on all of these and, and sort of chart those over time? Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I love the fact that you're doing that, that for you, it's, it's as much about the learning experience and like here you get three doughs. That gives you three new opportunities each day to analyze and, and kind of push your own, your own knowledge base. And that, that's so rare uh, that, uh, and impressive that you do that. And, and maybe that's one of the factors because we're always, again, what are the differences between the good and the very good places? And you're doing something that hardly anybody's doing, which is, yeah. You're not ever standing pat. Yeah. I, I, I am definitely a glutton for punishment. Uh, you know, I, I like it, but it, it keeps me motivated because if I'm not there, it, uh, you know, feeling it, touching it, tasting it, and using that as opportunities to teach my staff, because you can, you can teach anybody how to make, to, how to follow a recipe, right? Yeah. But we want to teach real skills. We want them to get really a deep understanding of fermentation and bread baking and pizza baking. And these are, there's, there are so many opportunities every day to teach because it's always a little bit different. It's not just following a schedule or following a formula. That kind of falls in line with what we talked about with Rob DiNapoli and, and also our pizza yodis about these hands. It's about, you know, that's really in the end, the difference between the artisan and the, just the worker bee is that you're developing the feel. And it sounds like that would you, that's what you're training your staff to be able to do and carry on. Even does that mean that they, they, they can carry on even when you're not present? I think there are a handful of my guys that could open up really great pizzerias right now. Um, and, and be very successful making incredible products. And again, deeper into it and get older yourself, uh, part of your legacy will be the the people that have been able to spin off and say, this was the mother house for me. Yeah, totally. That gives you a lot of satisfaction to to think about that. Another hallmark, I think, of the people who I'm I'm sort of fascinated with, who we're calling the, the Yodas of pizza, because part of it is, is the sense of mentoring is a big part of their personal mission. It's not just about, you know, a successful restaurant, but it's about, uh, planning for the future and, and passing something on from generation to generation. Yeah, because I, I struggle with the fact that our product is so Im, uh, is so short-lived, right? Mm-hmm. Done all this studying and we're doing it every day so much, but it's gone in a moment, right? As soon as it comes out of the oven and, and is consumed, like, yeah, the memories last, but you look at like a, a master woodworker has a product that he can look at for the rest of his life and... And for me, you know, we don't get that. It's, it's just the memories and the people that we touch that that's how it lives on. Well, cooking really is more of a performance art than it is a durable, you know, art like painting or, or woodworking and things like that. But performance art is still art. And I think that that is, it sounds like from your description, kind of what you're trying to achieve. So 
before we move on to the topics, I want to finish one part of this uh, dough fermentation. From what I heard, you said some of your doughs are using a little bit of commercial yeast to kind of move them along faster. Others, you're giving them more time with, with only the starter or the natural leavening. Um, and, and both of them are working. Your customers are loving it either way, correct? Yeah, yeah. And honestly, it's not really, not just about having the dough move faster because we can have it move faster by increasing the temperature, uh-huh. right? But the commercial yeast in a very, very minuscule amount uh, leads to a better texture, in my that, opinion. That's, I think, a really interesting point. And I'd like to, you know, maybe we'll talk about it a little bit here, but then we're going to bring you back and have you sit down with John Arena and, and Brian Spangler and we'll get like the, a new Yoda panel going so that we can really dig into a little bit of that. But what is it that you have noticed about the, the uh, benefits of adding a little commercial yeast to a natural uh, sourdough starter? It's all textural. It's, it's, commercial yeast is such a vigorous gas producer uh, that we get a better texture because we, we have um, better oven spring than you'll ever get with, with uh, natural fermentation solely. Mm. Uh, and the, um, you know, I, I've obviously been studying bread making and I take a lot of cues from French baguettes. Uh, and, you know, walking the streets of Paris and with a baguette in your hand and really understanding it just blew my mind. And baguettes and pizza dough are very, very similar. They are very similar. And certainly the French take their baguette dough very seriously as well. Very. Uh, and by the way, you know, you mentioned that bread, you make your own bread. Are you making the bread from the pizza dough or are you no. doing a whole different dough for the breads? Completely different. You're making your bread and your butter at Razza, aren't you? Yeah. Which and that's... Pretty- and that all spurred from trying to understand pizza crust, you know, so you study fermentation and then you start fermenting everything. And, um, we get grass fed cow's cream from Pennsylvania. We inoculate it with an heirloom Scandinavian yogurt culture. Uh, it's very similar to the sourdough bread process where we take a little bit of the old as the, as the starter for the next batch. Uh, and, and then, and then we churn the, the cream into butter. Um, so we're making bread. How many gallons of milk do you need to go through to make for a day's worth of butter? We get the cream. So we actually work with a a yogurt company. It's a a small family farm. They milk the cows. They separate the cream from the milk. Um, they sell us the cream and then they make low fat yogurt with, with their milk. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then we take the cream, we inoculate it, we chill it, we churn it. Uh, but we go through about 10 gallons every week or two. That's, that's phenomenal. So you've got, I mean, in addition to just running a pizza restaurant, you're doing all these extra things. You're making butter, you're making bread from a different dough, which means another dough mix that you're having to do. Uh, and then on top of that, you're coming up with all sorts of, uh, I would say, I guess for lack of a better phrase, because it's a cliche now, a farm to table uh, topping uh, ideas. Uh, you got your standard, I guess, the pizzas that are always on the menu and then an ever evolving, uh, maybe and changing group of top of, of pizzas that might be seasonal. Uh, yeah. Am I getting that right? Yeah, totally. We have standard pizzas that are always going to be on the menu, like our pepperoni and margarita, all those standards. And then we have the seasonals that are completely based on the ingredients that are available in our area. So right now, today we're getting the first asparagus of the year, which I'm really excited about. Yeah. Uh, and we'll start doing our spring pizzas. And then once asparagus season is over or once it gets 
uh, once the asparagus gets uh, to the point where uh, it's no longer incredible, yeah, uh, right. something else will be available. Usually it's uh, baby zucchini are next. So then we do our, our zucchini pizza with zucchini, uh, a little bit of lemon, some ricotta cheese. Uh, but it follows the, the natural um, seasonality of our location. And we happen to be in New Jersey. And you're, you're making your own butter. Are you also making some of your own cheese in addition to the cheese you buy? Yeah, we make, them, we make the mozzarella for, for our pizza. Um, but, you know, cheese making is one of those things that it requires a lot of time and dedication and thought power. And, and you sometimes have a lot of, uh, microorganisms floating around your your restaurant as well that could affect yeah. the that cheese. Yeah, and there's there's only so much you can do without diluting your your time, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Like we can, I can make cheese, I can cure meats, I can do all those things, but are we going to do all of them really well? It's the same thing with milling my own flour. I'm not, I, I don't mill my own flour because that's an art and science to unto itself. And if I have to be worried about all of those variables that are impacting the flour, yeah. then I'm not going to be able to have enough time and energy to right. to dial in what we do really well. And you did that already. You've been there and done that way at yeah. the beginning. Uh, so, you know, it's time you move on. You can only, like you say, you have to pick your battles, especially yeah. in Calabria. How many pizzas a night are you, are you producing? Uh, about 300. So it's yeah. not... That's yeah. not small. Yeah. So 300 pizzas. So that's, but it's a lot of pizzas in a small place, in a small location. Yeah. How many ovens? Just one oven. Just one oven. Yeah. Wow. And um, uh, now, given the, you know, the crisis that we're in with uh, with the COVID, that that you've gone to mainly just in totally a, a curbside pickup. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. so how do people get in on that? Do they, do they uh, have a particular pickup time that they have to come by a window that they need to? to meet in order to have the pizza be fresh right out of the oven? So we, we take orders. Uh, it's online ordering only. It's completely contactless. There's no exchange of money or anything. Um, we open up our window and we take a pizza peel with the box on it and shove it out our window and people take it. It's incredible. Wow. We, we could do this for, for a while. Yeah. Um, and your, your volume is the same as it was when you were, uh, when you were open for sit down. Yeah, the only thing we're we're lacking is the um, is the bar, the alcohol sales. Well, so right. our sales are like majorly and about, down. But what about, and what about all the the starters that you were serving? You have all those uh, wonderful fresh seasonal uh, starting courses and the octopus and everything, or the and the meatballs and everything. You still doing any of those? Uh, a little bit, yeah. And we're and because we don't have guests in our dining room, we have more prep space now. So we're prepping in the dining room and we're actually getting really creative and, and doing things that we don't, we're are not normally able to do. Um, Amazing how resilient and resourceful all these, uh, you know, restaurant operators are becoming. And, and uh, I'm beginning to wonder uh, when, if we ever do return to kind of a, a normal that we recognize, how many of these new breakthroughs that people have made will stay and, and uh, maybe we'll, we won't go back to the original model, but continue down these, these new uh, sort of breakthrough ideas. Yeah. I've always loved the takeout aspect of, of pizza and you know, it, the product definitely changes um, as soon as you put it in a box, but you know, these are, these are crazy times and we're just pivoting 
and yeah. making sure that we still have a restaurant once this is all over. Well, Dan, I, you and I, I think, could talk about this for about the next six hours, and I'd love to uh, set, an up, set up another time. We'll do another session uh, and another uh, episode of Pizza Talk with you because I want to keep digging in deep and, and get into your, into your mind and into your creative process. But we want to get you back soon also to sit down with uh, our other pizza, Yodis, and we'll talk, uh, really focus in again on tinkering with your dough, and maybe you can share some of the knowledge and wisdom that you've gained over these these last 15 years or so as you've uh, learned through, I'm sure learned as much from, from failing as you have through your successes. And maybe you hear a little bit about some of your, your uh, what would you call them? The outtakes, so to speak. Um, learned way more through failure. <laughs> well, that's it. I think, and that's something that John Arena and, and Brian Spangler both, you know, have told us everyone is everyone says that because we all yeah. know that. that's true it's, it goes without saying you can't be successful if you haven't had a few failures as well um, but anyway we've got a lot more to talk about with you over time and uh, we look forward to having you be a part of our pizza quest uh, journey and the pizza talk uh, series that we're that we're creating now and thank you so much for being part of today um, any final words that you want anything any uh, parting shots you'd like to have to uh, to share with our viewers Oh, thank you so much. I, I can't tell you how much it means to be talking to you. I love it. Well, we appreciate what you're doing. And I feel like you're, you're part of a small group of people who are really moving the bar, you know, and raising the bar uh, so that people who aspire to greatness, you know, have a blueprint to follow. You're kind of one of those people creating your own blueprint. And I do want to talk more with you later about those, the 40 points of your blueprint and, and how that has evolved and grown. And, and if there are more points to come still in the future, as, as you know, Dan Richer, uh, Ratsa and uh, Jersey city, New Jersey. Uh, can't wait till I can get on a plane again one of these days and fly up there and sit down and, and do this in person with you and bring our, bring our whole team, the pizza quest team over there to, to film you in action. But we'll talk again soon. Dan, thanks so much. Thank you. Pizza Quest is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org, and connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like Tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Thanks for listening.